You're listening to Beyond the Jargon, a jargon-free look at graduate students and their research journeys here at the University of Victoria. From CFUV 101.9 FM, I'm your host, Maureen Chow. Today, I have Dan Hudson here with me. How are you, Dan? I'm doing well. And tell me who you are and what you do here at UVic. What um, program are you in? Okay, yeah, so my name is Dan. Uh, I'm just finishing the second year of my master's in pure mathematics uh, and hopefully finishing up my master's soon. <laughs> <laughs> and what is pure mathematics? Um, I mean, that's a really broad question, but I guess it's most simply related or it's most simply explained by saying like when you ask me what it's good for I say it's not good for anything other than other math (laughs) what are you hoping to do with something where you'll do more math in the future what specifically does that look like um well personally I would like to go into academia so I'm hopefully finishing my master's in the next little bit Uh, and then I'm hoping to go somewhere to do a PhD and then hopefully continue to get paid to do math. (laughs) My plan is basically to do math as long as people pay me to do math. Um, But I don't know. And why math? It's it's difficult to explain, especially like the type of math that I do in particular. Um, I just, it's like a bunch of puzzles that you get to solve. I mean, the way that I kind of relate it is like people like to do Sudokus, you know? Um, Those aren't really good for anything other than just think like you know it's just a little brain teaser i mean that's what doing pure math is like it's just a big brain teaser that lasts months and weeks and years (laughs) (laughs) and what about what's a day in the life so okay well what i've been doing this summer has been difficult but the average day in the life uh is you wake up in the morning and you i usually come to school sometimes i go downtown i really like working in coffee shops um and then I sort of just pull out a pad of paper, and I usually have a, either a textbook or a paper with me, and I just start trying to think about problems. Um, and I do that for a couple hours, and then usually around like one or two, I get tired, and <laughs> I head to UVic. I take a, like I take an elongated lunch, and then um, I continue to think about it, and then I go home and I have dinner, and then usually around like nine thirty or ten, I start working again and then I work until night midnight or one in the morning and then I repeat the process but I mean the thing with the thing that's kind of nice about math as opposed to some of the other sciences is that you don't really need anything to do it you know like I don't need a lab I don't need some sort of fancy experiment all I really need to do is think about it so even when I'm not sitting around like with a pen and paper and books I'm still sort of like thinking about the problems you know I know you mentioned before that you started with engineering Mm -hmm. within academia. So what made you make the switch? Right. So um, when I was in high school, I actually wanted to go into physics because I took physics 12 uh, and I really, really liked it. I did well in it and it was just fun because I enjoyed the the problem solving. And I actually, I took calculus in grade 12 as as well. And that sort of was the first math class that I realized that, you know, there's actually something to this. It's not just, it's not just, you know, someone gives me a formula and I need to sorted out. So I wanted to actually go into physics when I was in high school, but I, I mean, I, you know, 
people always say you need to go into something that will make you money. So engineering was sort of like, well, I'm good at math and science, but I need to get a job, so I'll go into engineering. Make money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then I really, really hated my first year. Like, I just detested it. Um, you're in so many classes. I really strive in like really understanding the ins and outs of something. You know, that's why I like math. That's there's all these proofs. You know, you don't have to take anything for granted. You can actually confirm yourself for yourself that something is true. And I found that in engineering, when you're in six classes, you don't really have time to really understand all of it. You know, you kind of just have to take some of it for granted. And I just was really uncomfortable with this. It really didn't jive for me. Um, so I finished my first year hoping that maybe it would get better. You know, they always say your first year is like your flush The hardest year. one. Yeah. yeah. And so I went into the second year and I just hated it more. <laughs> uh, so I was in um, actually a math class, a differential equations class in the first semester of second year. And in engineering at UVic, um, you, it's like you have your two semesters your first year is two semesters in school and then your summer which is technically a work term and then you have a semester at school and then a work term and then a semester and then a work term and that's how it repeats so I was just about to come up onto the first work term of the second year and instead of applying for jobs I just signed up for a bunch of math classes and I was like well I you know I might as well get a minor in math because I enjoy it and then I got an honors degree <laughs> in math <laughs> rather than engineering yeah so that's how I got into it. What made you decide to do grad school for math? Um, I'd always wanted to do grad school, even when I was in engineering. I, I just, I like school. <laughs> um, I like that academic lifestyle. It suits me well. I, I, I just really like thinking about things. And so grad school is sort of a, a good way to, you know, live and also be able to think about things. But why I decided to do grad school at UVic more specifically is... Um, I took a class in my third, fourth year, third year of math, fourth year of school, um, and the title of the class was Intro to Algebraic Topology, uh, and the person who taught it's name was Dr. Heath Emerson, and he is now my supervisor. In math, in your undergrad, you learn, mm, okay, so in math there are sort of like some core subjects you learn in your undergraduate. There's like the discrete maths, which is like um, combinatorics, so like sort of count, like difficult counting problems. Um, there's also graph theory, which is part of discrete math, and um, I don't know anything about it. My friends are quite good at it, and they really enjoy it, but it's not for me. Um, you can go into sort of like the applied maths, which is like, you know, you learn about differential equations and how it applies to biology, you know, the real world and whatnot. Um, but if you go into sort of like what I did, you go into algebra, topology, and analysis. So algebra just sort of generalizes what you learn in high school, you know, you have your polynomial equations. What you do when you do abstract algebra is you say, okay, well, we're used to dealing with the numbers, you know, the real numbers, so what type of properties are we, do we use about this? And the way that algebra sees it is like, well, you can add real numbers and subtract them, you know, and we have a number zero such that when I add it to anything, it doesn't do anything, right? So if you just ignore everything else and you say, well, what if we just dealt with systems where you can add and subtract, um, but nothing else, but maybe nothing else? This is called a group. And even further, you, you, you don't even assume that A plus B is equal to B plus A. So like it could be the case that A plus B is different than B plus A. Hmm. Um, but this is a group. It's a really basic algebraic structure. And then you can go a little further. You can introduce multiplication, but maybe not division. 
you can then add division and you get all sorts of different things and they all have different properties but that's what algebra is analysis is sort of like it, it, it's sort of calculus you know in math 100 and like in basic differential and integral calculus at university you learn how to use calculus you know you, you don't you learn what the derivative is and how to use it to solve like optimization problems say you know you know you want to make like a can have this much volume but you want to minimize the amount of money that you'll have to pay okay this is like a math 100 calculus problem but what analysis does is instead of knowing how to use calculus which you kind of already know you you, you start to ask why does it work you know you 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 dig into the machine you know what is the derivative what is the integral you know at what level can we define the integral in terms of abstraction and that's what you mostly look at um, I mean, no, so I do I do something called algebraic topology, which was the third field I was about to describe. Perfect. <laughs> um, but, so analysis, uh, it, it also covers, like, probability and stuff. Like, it, it the, a big thing in, in analysis is integrals, but you can also get into something called, like, linear algebra. Uh, like, in, but infinite dimensional linear algebra. And then the third field is topology, which sort of, like, loosely generalizes geometry. Topology is more difficult to explain at, like, a layman's point of view, because... It's, it's just really quite general. But one should think that, like, in, with the real numbers, you can tell how far apart two numbers are kind of deal. You have a notion of distance. Uh, and more generally, you have a notion of, like, closeness. <laughs> um, and this is sort of like what topology does. It's it's sort of, like, allows you to talk about when things are close in some really, really general sense. But as an undergraduate, you learn, I learned these three subjects, and they seemed quite disjoint from one another you know you you had your algebra class and you did algebra you had your analysis class and you did analysis you did your algebra class your topology class and you did topology and then what that algebraic topology did was say okay well is there a good way to transport a topology question which is sort of like a geometric question and turn it into an algebraic question which is like something that you might it might be like vaguely recognizable as math to like someone who didn't do math you know um, I just thought this was, like, remarkable, you know, like, because you never see anything like this. And then even further, Keith, who taught me the class on algebraic topology, he works in something called non-commutative geometry, um, and it goes even further than this, and it includes analysis as well. So in what Heath does, he deals with what are called C-star algebras, and they bring in algebra, topology, and analysis, all in one really difficult to understand picture. <laughs> And did you come up with kind of a thesis focused together with your supervisor, or was this all your own ideas, your own creation? Right. Um, so it's kind of funny. Um, it was sort of it was Heath's idea. So what happened was I was a really keen undergrad, and I did uh, a bunch of the research awards. Um, which I super recommend if you're also a keen undergrad. Like Jake Kira. Yeah. So I did in in math. Math at UVic is quite good because it's a pretty small faculty, so um, you get you get a lot of like time with professors that you might not necessarily get at a bigger school with lots of students, you know. So the ways that you can do research as an undergrad at UVic in math or in science, but in particular in math, one of them is the JCURA, the Jamie Castles Undergraduate Research Award, and that's pretty good. You get like fifteen hundred bucks, and then you do a project over two semesters, and then you make a poster. Um, another way is like called an NSERC USRA. So NSERC is the National Sciences and Engineering Research Council, I think. And USRA stands for Undergraduate Summer Research Award. 
So you can, you, the government gives you, you find a supervisor, you agree on a project, the government gives you $4,500, and then your supervisor has to top that up by an additional at least 25%. Uh, and so you just spend your summer working on this project. And you can do up to three of them, and you can, do, you can even do one in between your undergrad and master's if you want. So that's what I did. I did three of them. Each of them was on a different subject. Um, but you could, and in math, there's also a, what's called Math 498, which is like a research project that you take as a class. I personally don't really recommend that one too much because like I recall there would be nights when I would wake up in the middle <laughs> of the night and be like, I'm not doing any research. This is a grade going on my transcript. I have no, I have no idea what this grade will be, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's, if you, if you really care about like your GPA, it can be a little stressful from that point of view. Like doing research is fun, but it's really slow going. And so you, it was just really hard for me to tell if I was doing well or not, you know. But how my thesis came about was I did my first, the first NSERC I did, I did with Dr. Rod Edwards, and we actually did it in math biology, sort of. It was the, it was motivated by math biology, but it was basically just pure math. And what is math biology? <laughs> so basically, like, I mean, I, I don't know. You know, it's, it's difficult to well define any of these things, but... What we did was he had, he used differential equations to try and model a biological process. Namely, I don't know any biology. This is why I say it was mostly pure math, but it motivated. He, there was a system of equations that were supposed to describe the rate at which like mRNA interacted with protein kind of deal. The transcription translation cycle. So someone could in theory go and apply it yeah. to biology. Yeah, that's the idea. I mean, basically, the system of equations were supposed to give, like, a qualitative idea of how this worked, you know? Maybe not super precise, but I think the reason why one would do a qualitative picture rather than a quantitative picture is because there are so many parameters that, like, your system and the math would just... Well, A, there are so many parameters that I don't think you can really precisely measure all of them, you know? So it's kind of silly to even attempt to do it. But B, even if you could... The math, like the equations that you would get at the end of the day would be so wretched that you, it's like, it's not even really worth doing as far as I'm concerned. Um, so it's sort of a balancing act by like trying to write down equations which well enough describe the system up to some like, you know, reasonable error, um, but are also nice enough to deal with in, as far as math is concerned, um, that you actually can deal with them, you know. So I don't know, that's, that's what my experience with the math biology was. I know that Rod had one student who tried, who was working on machine learning. That's not really math biology, but uh, applied math nonetheless. Something he, that one could potentially do. Yeah, exactly. Use in the industry. <laughs> um, he had another student who was trying to model how stem cells develop on a certain type of medium. He works in mostly like, I don't know too much about them. I just did the one summer and I was kind of like, Paid your dues. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't really for me, but, you know, it, it was still pretty interesting, and we actually published a paper, which was cool. And then the summer after that was when I first started working with Heath, uh, and we started working on, like, C-star algebras, basically. Which is? Too hard to describe. <laughs> so, basically, C-star algebras came from, like, a mathematical formalism of quantum dynamics, or quantum mechanics, sorry. But, yeah, they're, like, one of those things that, like, so Heath has an undergraduate doing a project with him on C-Star Algebra. His name is Douglas. Uh, and the other day he was like, 
you know, Dan, I finally understand the difficulty you have in trying to, like, explain what you do to people. Because <laughs> the background is just so tense. Like, typically, you, you wouldn't learn about T-star algebras until your fourth year of your undergraduate or, like, graduate-level math. Like, it's just the vocabulary you need for it to mean anything is just, it's, it's quite long. So it's, it's difficult to explain. But the, it, it's sort of like it came from quantum mechanics. They were trying, I think, to figure out how to describe quantum mechanics in terms of math. And C-star algebras is sort of where they landed on. And I'm interested, what is K-theory? I know that comes yeah. up with your major thing yes. that's going on right now. Exactly. So um, at the end of the second NSERC, um, I started to notice K-theory. And then I, I did, after that NSERC, I did a J-Kira with Heath on K-theory. And then this following summer, I did the project, which is now morphing into my master's, or at least half of it. So going back to algebraic topology, one, basically the idea is sometimes topology is difficult. Namely, it's kind of difficult to say when things, like, aren't the same in some sense. Because, like, usually one can, if you want to show that two things are the same in some sense, you can just, you know, do it. <laughs> you can just show how they're the same. But, you know, it's much more difficult to show that things aren't the same because just because you don't know how to do it doesn't mean that there is no way to do it, you know? Um, and this is true in topology in the sense that, like, sometimes the things you are dealing with are quite abstract and they're quite difficult to actually get your hands on. Um, so if you want to show two things are different, it can be kind of difficult. And what you do is you look for these things called, uh, you look for certain invariants of your thing, which are preserved under the, like, whatever notion of equivalence you want to care about. Usually people care about, like, homotopy, which means that you can sort of, like, continuously stretch and deform one shape into another without, like, tearing it or cutting it. Um, so what, al what K-theory, what algebraic topology does, and K-theory is a particular instance of this, is it looks for certain invariants that it cares about, and it tries to study them. So what K-theory does is it looks, it, you take a space and you look at what are called vector bundles over your space. And why you do this is because when you, you can perform some sort of operation on this uh, and turn it into this thing that I was talking about earlier, a group. So you talk about how you can add vector bundles and then you allow yourself to sub subtract them in some you know nonsensical way. Um, and furthermore, you can actually multiply them too, and so this gives it the structure of what's called a ring. Um, but anyways, so basically the, the thing is, is what you've done with K-theory is you take a space and you turn it into a group. Groups are somehow more tangible than spaces in the sense that like there are usually, it's usually easier to tell two groups apart than it is to tell two spaces apart. And the way that K-theory is made is such that if two spaces are the same, up to homotopy equivalence, they will give you the same group kind of deal. So if you wanted to tell two spaces apart, one way to check is if you take their K-theory and if you get different groups, then you knew the spaces had to have been different, is an example. So like for, ex for an instance, you could like, if you look at um, the circle, this is a nice shape. The K-theory of the circle is, I might get this wrong, it's Z. I'm trying to think of K1, but it, it's K1 is K0 of R, which is the integers. Um, so K's, the K theory of the circle is the pairs of integers. 
So somehow maybe you want to say that this is different than a solid disk, like you can't in any way turn a disk into a circle. And the k-theory of a disk is just z. You only get one integer. So with a circle you get two integers, with a disk you get one integer, and so they are different up to like what I'm calling homotopy. <laughs> and what becomes the burning question for your thesis? Right. Um, so um, going back to C-star algebra and why this is relevant, K-theory was developed by someone named Michael Atiyah. Well, originally, I think it was sort of the idea was by someone named Alexander Grotendieck. Uh, and then Michael Atiyah, um, they developed it to sort of deal with topology. And Atiyah and Singer proved something called the Atiyah-Singer index theorem. It's quite a remarkable theorem. The idea with C-star algebras is that somehow they generalize spaces. Like every space gives you a C-star algebra in sort of a unique way, but not every C-star algebra gives you a space. So somehow there are more C-star algebras. So people, I think, I mean, I'm not an expert on it, but I think people wanted to sort of take tools from topology and use them in C-star algebras. So one tool from topology is algebraic topology. So there are lots of, K-theory is just one instance. It's called a contravariant functor. It's called an extraordinary cohomology theory. There are a, there are a bunch of them. Um, but K-theory somehow extended most naturally to C-star algebras. And if you, I mean, the, the way that you extend it is like completely obvious. Like it's, it's, it's you do it and it just works. Um, so K-theory works quite nicely for C-star algebras. And um, then there's also a dual theory called K-homology, which people developed. And then Gigi Kasparov developed what's called KK theory. So K-theory, you, you give it one variable. K-homology, you give it one variable. KK theory, you give it two variables. And in one variable, it's K-theory. And in the other, it's K-homology. So it kind of brings the two together. Uh, and he defined it for C-star algebras. But every, every space can be thought of as a C-star algebra. So you can sort of take the KK theory of a pair of spaces, and the definition is quite complicated. People started to wonder, I guess people wanted to make a simple definition for spaces. Somehow spaces are, I think, I don't know, the, it seems like, as far as C-star algebra is concerned, C spaces are fairly nice C-star algebras, I guess. So people wanted to see if there was like a better definition of KK theory for the spaces, the commutative C-star algebra. So I'm not sure who did it first, but I know that um, Alain Kahn and George Skandalis published this paper called the Longitudinal Index Theorem for Foliations, and they developed a sort of like topological picture for KK. And then I think Paul Baum and Ronald Douglas maybe did something similar, um, but it was never fully completed, I don't think. And then my supervisor Heath and his collaborator Ralph um, kind of put the final nail in the casket, like they, they figured it out. They wrote down um, what KK theory is for spaces in such a way that it agrees with the C-star algebraic definition for nice enough spaces. But they did it in like very a very large amount of generality. Um, the way they did it, like the papers in which they developed it, are there are two of them, each of them is about like 40 pages long, so, and they're quite terse. But if you restrict your viewpoint to sort of manifolds, which are like very nice spaces, then it, it should quite be, it should be a pretty easy theory. And so my, the first part of my thesis was to um, simplify their, write a nice introduction to smooth KK theory, basically. And so that's what I've been doing. <laughs> Are you trying to prove new ways that KK theory can exist or? Oh, n no, no, no. I mean, I just, I just basically like, K 
KK theory is useful. It helps you prove theorems and topology. So it would be nice if it was like relatively easy to understand. So I'm just trying to write down like a nice, it's kind of also notoriously difficult. So basically what the hope of my, what the hope of what I'm writing is like, look, it's not that hard. <laughs> like just read, read this. It, it's not that bad, okay. you know? How does one go about writing a paper in your field? Well, it depends. So this particular paper is, is basically, I'm just reading his paper and trying to simplify it, you know? So that part's pretty easy. The other part is like, there is a, an actual theorem that I think I proved kind of deal. And so for that, I mean, I'm still trying to learn how to write the paper, but <laughs> I think how I'm planning on doing it is the first half will be this sort of like introduction. And then the second half, this is my thesis, by the way, don't steal it from me. The first <laughs> half, the first half will be sort of like this introduction to K, K theory, smooth KK theory or K theory, KK theory via correspondences as it's called. Um, and then the second half will sort of be like applying it to this particular instance. And the way this particular instance came up is kind of funny, actually. Heath, uh, Heath, there's a there's an online website called The Archive, and you can put preprints there. They're not edited. They're just like papers that problems that people solve and wrote and put them there. Heath published this or posted this thing on The Archive, and he said, "Oh, you should check out this paper. Like I mentioned you in it." And so I, I went and there's this theorem, blah. Like this can be proved with this other thing, but we will do it in a better way with me d hudson and this was my first instance of oh we are <laughs> but i appreciate it because it turned out to be a really really interesting problem so and what's the math community like is this something that you can talk to your friends about do you help each other or is it possible is it too personalized i think it sort of depends on which area you're in like so for instance at uvic there are probably two other grad students that i could really talk to this about and they would like <laughs> really get it um there are a couple more that I could at least like explain and they like they would know that the words meant something right. whether or not they knew exactly what the words meant is sort of irrelevant but uh Heath's other grad student Anna works in a similar enough field to me that like we we talk about problems and like I can understand her and she can understand me it's kind of unfortunate because her and her boyfriend Chris are actually the two grad students who like probably work in the close enough close enough area uh, but both of them are in Germany right now, so right now it's kind of isolated. <laughs> but I think that's just sort of the nature with like KK theory and right. like non-commutative geometry. It, it it just it has a really high entrance tax in the sense that you need to know a lot of stuff before you can start to do it. So not that many people do it. If I worked in a different area, then like potentially. So for instance, like a couple of my good friends, Mackenzie and Flora. I don't maybe not so much Flora, but Mackenzie works in this area called graph theory. And graph theory has this really cool property that even at the graduate and working level, you can explain the problems to someone like you or I, you know. The problems might have really complicated solutions and they might be really difficult to solve, but the problems present themselves in a sort of simple enough way that like I can get it, you know. You at least get what the problem is, maybe exactly. not how to answer it. I yeah, I have no idea how to answer it, but I can understand what you're trying to do, kind of deal. So if you worked in that kind of field like you could talk to more people about it and maybe help like if you worked in if you worked in graph theory then the other graph theory students might be able to help I mean of course everyone specializes you know so at some point you won't be able to talk to people but like the difference is is like sometimes you can fully explain the problem to people and people will get it 
and other times you can't. You can't. <laughs> <laughs> and over how long did you start developing this vocabulary? Basically, since I started working with Heath, like so, it's taken me about four years to get to where I'm at. Do you think that? I know you mentioned you want to stay in academia. Yeah. What makes you choose this lifestyle other than? I know you mentioned it was well suited to yeah. you as well, but is it just that it's so fulfilling for you when you solve these oh, yeah. equations or yeah i mean when you solve a problem or have a good idea is you just feel like you're on top of the world like <laughs> it's 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 really quite quite fulfilling but more than that i just like being stuck on stuff i like just being confused i don't know it's kind of a weird like thing but i, I just like it i like talking to people about problems i like just like reading what other people are thinking about i like I like I really like if I'm really stuck on something being able to just get up and like walk around you know I like I mean I think I'm a relatively creative person I play a lot of music and I do the math and I, I just it's it's just overall fulfilling I just like sitting around and thinking about stuff so that for that reason I think that I want to stay in academia because you basically just get to think about stuff <laughs> you know I mean that's what you do and how does creativity play into what you do how do you apply creativity yeah. to what seems like a very logical thing. yeah for sure um it's kind of difficult to explain um but when you're solving a problem like there might not be like any clear direction one should take you know so if someone like for instance when Heath, you know posted his paper on the archive and i saw the theorem that i was to prove basically i had no idea how to do it i i knew what the words meant but i had no idea where to go and so you kind of have to just like sit back and just kind of close your eyes and think about what's going on, you know. And sometimes you have to pull certain things out of a hat, like just like magic, you know. And I think for that reason, there's a lot of creativity involved. Um, sometimes the, the structures that one thinks about are quite like inventive, you know. Again, it's kind of hard to explain, but like in undergraduate math, you learn about what's called a vector space. You learn this in like Math 110 if you're an engineer or Math 211 if you're uh, just some other science student. And you know what a vector space is and these things are like sort of of fundamental importance. And I mentioned that K-theory is built from vector bundles. Well, this is kind of a creative thing in the sense that it's like, well, vector spaces are great. They're like kind of simple. I mean, the point of calculus is basically to do linear algebra. So it'd be nice if like I could somehow to a space relate a bunch of vector spaces and this is what this is what a vector bundle is it's just like well i just take a bunch of them there are just a lot of objects okay so another thing is i mentioned when you're doing algebraic topology what you try and do to a space is associate to it some sort of invariant something associated to the space which doesn't really change if i like bend or twist it kind of deal it takes a certain amount of creativity to think of something like that you know a vector Classes of vector bundles are one of them, for instance. But that's what I mean by, like, creativity. And also, like, you just read these solutions and that, that the really great mathematicians have come up with, like, for instance, Michael Atiyah, and you read his solutions to problems, and it's just like, how, how do you ever think of that? Like, that's amazing. Just certain things that he's like, well, you know, if it had these properties, then, like, pull this thing out of a hat. This would also have that, and it doesn't, so... Just, so there's a lot of experimentation too. yeah oh yeah 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 it's 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 just like any other science i mean in the sense that, that you run experiments the only difference is is that you you know you, they're not they, they happen in your head you know they aren't like you know let's blast two particles together and see what happens it's well what happens if 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 
what I think is true is true, then this other thing should also be true. So can I test that, you know? And so you run little experiments to see. Going along the way, you sort of refine your statements, you know, you refine your arguments, and you see what really is true kind of deal. In the future, do you want to teach? Yeah, I love, I love teaching, yeah. I actually, I taught um, math, half a semester of Math 200 last year due to the unfortunate circumstance of the professor passing away halfway through the semester. I taught that class, and I, I really enjoyed it. It was really fun. It's unfortunate that I had to do it, but... You liked the teaching part. Yeah, it was quite fun. I've been a TA since, like, the third year of my undergrad, and I've always really enjoyed that. I do a lot of tutoring. I really enjoy doing that. Yeah, I, I mean, I like communicating math. The way that I sort of see it is, like... I was talking to Heath about this yesterday, actually. Um, the way that I sort of see it is, like, math should somehow be, like, easy. I don't think it's hard. <laughs> And if I, and if, <laughs> well, easy for you to say. <laughs> well, I know, I know, I know. But what I mean by that is like, I think it should be easy. And if it's hard, it's just because it hasn't really been communicated that well, you know? Hmm. So I, that's what I like about the teaching. It is I, like when I teach someone calculus, I really try my best to like simplify. Yeah, convince you that it's obvious, you know? Convince you that like what you're doing is like the only thing to do, you know? Given the rules, like you have this rule book. It's like a Sudoku, you know? Like, some Sudokus are more difficult than other, but the general thing that you want to do at the end of the day is the same. You know, you want to fill in all the numbers in the blocks. And there's only really one way to do it, you know? So, I don't know. I think that's kind of how I think. Everything's... I think it should be simple. I mean, this is like... People talk about elegance in math, you know? And this is my version of that. It shouldn't be complicated. How much does it flood over from being your work to a hobby to taking over your daily life? My daily life... Right, so I guess this is sort of like the work-life balance problem in, in <laughs> academia. I don't know, like, it, it depends from day to day. If things are going really well and I'm solving a lot of things, then, like, it'll just take up all my time. Sometimes I wake up in the morning and I'm just like, I'm not doing math today, you know? But for the most part, it's gotten a little better over the summer. I think it partly because of the heat, and I think because it's so warm, I can't think so well. But... <laughs> I, it kind of, it ebbs and flows, right? Like, sometimes it's just, like, all I think about, and other times it's just, like, I just can't be bothered. If I'm really stuck on a... If I'm really perplexed by a problem, then, like, I sometimes won't even be able to pay attention to, like, my girlfriend or my friends. <laughs> and, like, it, so I'm, I'm sorry, Jane. Because, <laughs> like, yeah, sometimes it's just, like, all I can think about. And then, I don't know. For the most part, I think I have a pretty good balance. Because I play guitar with some of my friends in a band, and that helps quite a bit to take my mind off of it. Because, like, you know... You have this responsibility to practice and to like write some songs and to you know do that and that's like a good chain at the same time like sometimes it's the same general i like thought process like sometimes i'll be thinking about playing guitar and i won't be able to think about anything else it's kind of, i think it's just this is sort of how people in academia are maybe that you just kind of have an obsessive personality <laughs> and do you think that there's parallels within music and math yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, they're both just really creative. Like, the way that it, the way that I think about it is like, at the end of the day, you have some goal. Like, you either want to solve a problem or you want to write a song, and then it's up to you to think about how to do that. You know, you need to create something in order to make that happen. Music is nice because there aren't any like truths, truths that you need to abide by. You know, in math, you have to. It's very creative, and there's a lot of more freedom than one would think. You know, at the end of the day, you can't lie. Whereas in music, you can just sort of do whatever you want, you know, as long as it sounds good. It doesn't even have to sound good to anyone else but you. But <laughs> as long as it sounds good, then that's good. I mean, that's good enough. I've always been a 
appreciative of musicians who sort of do their own thing, you know, and write really off the wall music and have really unique playing styles. But I'm 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 just so not like that. Like <laughs> it feels kind of weird. I really want to have like really good technique when I play guitar, even though, naturally. <laughs> yeah, but it seems not to be super important. But I guess it helps you play complicated stuff. But it allows you to use said creativity yeah and apply it yeah i guess it makes it easier to apply your creativity because like you know an idea is only sort of as good as it can be made i guess in some weird sense thank you so much for coming in down it was a pleasure thank you thanks for talking about math yeah (laughs) for interviewee contact information or to listen to this episode again go to podcasts at cfuv.ca thank you so much for listening to beyond the jargon